what the hell is going on here? Could you sound a little bit more enthusiastic and excited about this? I'm sorry, I'm a little low energy today. I don't know what happened. Yeah. So, hey, what's up? How are you? I got to do a screen capture of the of the first uh, facial expression you did because I have now met Popeye. <laughs> oh yeah, there's some faces the going on. There were right definitely there. some faces right there. For you, yep. those of you who can't see this, you know, there's so many things that you're missing. Well, it, you know, visual. That's, that's hopefully he'll take a few screen grabs and throw them on the Insta and, and other places, and yep. you can say, "Oh my God, I'm glad it's just audio." They <laughs> <laughs> are just so damn cute. Uh, okay, so, what is going on with you, Alex Simmons? Well, let me let me say just to you know connect just back a little bit to previous episode. Um, everybody who, who yeah, uh, previous episode was a tribute to Victor Gorlick, uh, an editor and friend who passed on uh, just a week or so ago, and a lot of people in the industry recognize that. And I I'm going to say this on air. Um, I think Victor will forgive me for not being able to attend the ceremony. Because the only thing I would have you know, missed it for is children. And that's something he dedicated a lot of his life to, of uh, getting the Archies out and, and entertaining children, entertaining families. And I had um, a class to teach that had already been arranged. Uh, every year I work with some 60, some are fifth grade students in Patterson, New Jersey, uh, helping them explore their imagination, their creativity through creating their own original comics. So that's Ooh, what it was cool. on the day that we were honoring Victor. And Victor, I think, will forgive me for that and will understand. And we did a nice, uh, it was a great interview between you and Victor. A nice, lengthy one. Um, I think uh, if that's not paying your respects, I don't know what is. So I think I, that yeah. you're covered, sir. I, on every moral measuring stick there there exists. Well, Something thank you. Like Those of you who are like, you know, like really, 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 really into it, um, Victor was very giving in that interview, and I actually had to leave a lot of stuff out uh, just for time's sake and so forth. So there's there's actually a full version of it where he goes in a little bit more into some things that happened in his earlier life, which were cool, and some you know, behind-the-scenes stuff uh, at Archie. And again, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot, Chris, is what motivates the artist's um, process of creativity, you know, whether it's the... The, the writing or performing end or the technical or the editorial end, you know, behind the scenes. So yeah. uh, it was cool listening to that. <laughs> and I'll, I'll say one more thing. It was cool. Um, he was talking about the production process at one point, And he reminded me of what most people now aren't experiencing is the overlays. You saw this when we were doing Blackjack, where they only had three color, uh, three primary colors to work with. So right. they do these overlays of, 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 of transparent sheets with the art, and then the overlays with various gradations would create these different shades of that color. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, that's right. I'd forgotten all about that. Um, so it's, again, you know, here he was coming from the 50s into, you know, 2000 plus and just adjusting. Yeah, 2020, right? Was just, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I'm saying, but just that's adjusting. a long journey. And he, he said a lot of good things about about looking forward and, you know, accepting that you know, some things change and new audiences and all that. So I think it was, I enjoyed the time I had with him. I really cool. did. And now, I, will that full yeah. 
full version of the episode of the interview ever be available anywhere? Well, you and I talked about that, and I'm thinking, yeah, I can I can make it for you know, say a month or so. I can I can put it up on on uh, a website, you know, uh, and and make it available. Yeah, you know, again for those or Facebook for those who who really are interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think that would be that would be cool. But anyway, I enjoyed doing that, and then I you know did work with kids last week, and and again. Uh, not just the, the young fifth graders that I just mentioned, some 50 to 60 of them, <laughs> but um, also some of my, my writing students at uh, the Film Academy, and some of them are in animation. And mm-hmm. it was fun talking about stories essentials with them and, and seeing their eyes open to some possibilities, working with, as I call it, ones and zeros. <laughs> you know, why do we care about ones and zeros was one of my lessons. And it was great watching them sort of realize ways of looking at, that's right, it's not just the look of a character, but there's all these other things that go into it. That was fun. fun. Do you want to explain the ones and zeros? Well, yeah, if you want me to take an extra moment for that, absolutely, absolutely. He's such a giving man. I I love you for that. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, Well, you know, I talk to, especially those who are really, really into the computer-generated as opposed to Mm -hmm. the uh, animation. Uh, yeah, so why do we care? Like, you know, the, the incredible, maybe that's like a universal one. You know, why do we care about the family? I mean, come on, all they really yeah, right. want zeros. You know, it's not, <laughs> even, it's not even real people playing these characters. It's not animals playing these characters. It's actually entities that do not exist in reality. And so why do we care? And they said, oh, because um, I think one of, the, one of the suggestions was, because uh, the story says that, you know, they're in trouble. And I said, yeah, that's right, but why do I care? And we just sort of went through it. And they would come up with what they thought was a reason to care. And it was always some element of the story. Right. Until I you know, kept bringing them back to, well, what does this character look like? What does this character do? How does this character act? What does this character want? And then they started, yeah, well, you know, when, when, when Dash was like really, into it, I was, you know, it was really funny because my little brother and I said, ah, ah, what, what's happening there, you know, and then start to get them to realize you connected to the characters because the characters acted like fill in the blank, you know, and then you started to see the, they were endowed with human characteristics and personalities that we as human beings could actually begin to identify with. So knowing your characters and what makes one different from the other is absolutely a big part of creating a successful story. Yeah, and, you, you know, you have to... You have to live with the characters until yep. uh, until you know. There's this great story about Joss Whedon where um, I forget which one of the writers uh, wrote a script and they were just about finished and Joss was coming to do the read and, and, you know, final edits and stuff. And he realized that he had three people in the scene and uh, Buffy, Willow, and Xander, something like that. Mm-hmm. And Willow hadn't talked for, a, for like a while. So, you know, yeah, I want to rewrite the whole scene. He just assigned one of Xander's lines to Willow. There you go, boom. And Whedon reading the script, he, he got to that line and he said, This was Xander's line, wasn't it? <laughs> and, and he just knows the character that it, you know, it's it, just one line in a script. Mm-hmm. He could hear who it was written for. And uh, that's, that's, yeah. It yeah. sounds extreme, but that's how much you want to 
live with your characters, walk with them, you know, and, and, you know, everything that you do, you can think about each of your characters, you know, and this might be a, you know, it's not all happening in one day, right? Mm -hmm. But you go to, you're in a supermarket or, uh, or we'll go to the mall. Once in a while I'll go with the goddess to the mall and she's got things to do, but I don't, I'm just hanging out with the goddess. But that's a writing exercise for me because every time she goes in a store I don't want to go in, then I'm I'm watching the parade and I'm plopping my characters down, you know? Mm-hmm. How would they do this and what would they do that and how would they deal with this uh, waiting or how, you know, what store would they want to shop exactly, in or yeah. stuff. And that stuff will never get in the story. But it's, you know. But it makes it more familiar to you. Right. Yeah. Are they a quick shower person? Are they a long shower person? How do they brush their teeth? You know, um, they walk around the house or they write over the, they always get something on their shirt. You know, it's a million things that you're not getting to know. And then when it comes into uh, the writing, it's, they're there, they're living in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, this is not good for the real world because sometimes you're not there, even when you're there. <laughs> <laughs> but McGregor, <laughs> McGregor wrote, something yeah. about that when he says, you know, the, the, the Black Panther lived inside his head for like five years or something like that. McGregor talks about it. And people say, well, what are you talking about, man? It was just a comic book. He says, no, no, it wasn't. It was not. And he, that's a great example because when you read that comic book, I read that comic book before I ever met McGregor. And I met McGregor through you. And mm-hmm. most of the time was standing back and watching McGregor be McGregor. You, know, <laughs> right? you have a relationship with Gregor. I'm, you know, I'm really an observer, you know, as much as I love the guy. But um, when I read it, it was organic from beginning to end. Mm. You know, to the point where I didn't know, I had no picture in my mind of Don McGregor, but I definitely knew Wakanda, and I definitely knew those characters. And, and you know, that's the addiction. If people don't understand comics, that's the addiction. Like any great story, mm-hmm. you wind up, uh, living with them, you're, there's a piece of you in the story and a pe- good piece of the story in your heart or in your soul. And what? then I met McGregor. Oh, yeah. I watched him interact with people. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, it makes perfect sense that that guy read that story, wrote that story. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Jim Starlin. I understand completely why he wrote or created Thanos. You can hear it every once in a while in him as he's talking about anything, you know? And uh, that's why everybody who is listening to this, aspiring, yeah, trust yourself. Yeah, there I are characters and there are worlds within you, and it's just getting them in, to know them enough where they have to leak out. And then just leak them onto the okay. computer. <laughs> Give yourself permission. Yeah, yeah, right. Leak them onto the computer. Yeah, so watch, unplug it first. Uh, uh-huh. But it's definitely, about, it's definitely about knowing, yeah, knowing your characters. And, and I, I also say to my students a lot, if you've got a scene where there's two or three characters or more in there and they're talking and all the dialogue sounds the same, then that's you talking, not the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's always about, especially as you wave that flag many times, rightfully so, the rewrites. The rewrites are where you can go back in mm-hmm. there and start to really fine-tune the voices. And that is actually taking us right to what we're talking about today. So how... <laughs> You're so smooth, brother. Um, what we want to talk about is seeding, right? And uh, w- we've said several times that when you write your story, 
the first draft, you're telling yourself the story. You're just getting the story out, and it doesn't have to be perfect. One of the reasons it doesn't have to be perfect is because you can go back and seed bits that you need to pay off later on. And you really don't know what those seeds need to be until you've gotten a draft of the story out completely. That's why so many people will tell you or advise you or encourage you to just just get the first draft done. Bam! Don't worry about typos or rewriting. Get it out. Because then you see the whole thing and you say, yeah, that works. But there's no... Nobody knew he had that particular thing or that knowledge. Well, then you go back... You know, that might be in chapter 42, but you go back to chapter 3, 4, 8. Oh, here's where I can casually mention it, and then boom, right? It's the sleight of hand of writers. Just like magicians, boom, 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 they'll do something, and they'll have you look at it over here while they're doing the trick over there. Uh Well, they never, if they're any good, they never explain that's what they're doing. They just get really good at it, so you have an entertaining experience. Same thing with writers when we go back we see the things that need or we adjust the story or the characters or you know you might even change the gender of a character change the name of a character as a seed for a payoff later on and that is one of the great secrets of this <laughs> mystical now that we've career been... that you are looking at no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I know one of the things too, you know, when I, I do, uh, when I teach mystery writing, uh, it's one of the things I also, I, I talk to people about, you know, you have, there's a process to writing a mystery. And I know some people, you know, when you're starting out or some people who have different approaches to what they think a mystery is, will simply declare it towards the end of the story. He done it. And you could go back through the book and there's nothing right. that points that finger at this person within the story mm-hmm. without so that's really like, you know, it's a shout out. Moment, it's, oh, you did it, fine, story ends. But when you're talking about a real whodunit, you're talking about a real mystery story, you leave clues, you leave red herrings, you have suspects, and there mm-hmm. are reasons why they are suspects. It's not because, you know, oh, I need a suspect, I'll make it this person. No, mm-hmm. there's a reason. There's some motive or something in this, history, this character's history or actions that make you think, hmm. So to know where to place those, and to how how to pace that out along your story, you mm-hmm. might you might be you know really really talented and put a lot of that stuff in in that first draft. But I guarantee you, in the rewrite, yeah, right. is when it really sweetens up. And when and that's yeah, that's part of the process. That's part, yes. You know, the greatest thing you can do for yourself as a creative is to embrace the rewrite. Is to embrace that because then you have so many opportunities to do all the inorganic stuff that you need to do to make the story organic. And you are here to serve the story. Uh, I'd like to give you three things of that. One, I, I wish I knew uh, who first taught me this. But uh, they said a story should look like a long tree branch. When you're first looking at it, you see all the branches branching off in different directions. You know, And you're not sure where this is going to end up. But mm-hmm. if you go to the furthermost point and go backwards, it's a very clear line, right? And that's your plot. But there's always these ops, these opportunities for the story to go elsewhere. That's where you keep, you know, you keep the interest and all that. Um, uh, a, a less effective way is, you know, a maze is always easier to do backwards. 
Mm. Uh, <laughs> you might get you might get into the right. All right, so two writing uh, examples. One very negative, one very positive. I mean the negative with most respect, but I've said it before. Uh, a bestseller book called Gone Girl. It's a cheat for exactly the same reason that you have mentioned. Middle of the book, the story changes. And suddenly, the plot reveals a, a, a truth that changes everything. However, there's nothing in the first half of the book to suggest that truth or to give the readers a chance to even get a gut instinct that that mm -hmm. might be possible. That's a cheat, right? That's like the old serials where, you know, the cliffhanger, someone would literally drive the car off the cliff and you'd see they're going to go and crash. And then the next episode, so you see the exact same car going off the exact same cliff, but suddenly there's an added scene where he jumps out and grabs onto this branch and comes climbs to safety. Well, that's a cheat. Yeah, right? it sure is. Because they and, did that before. <laughs> and it, the reason I'm so adamant or, or uh, um, enthusiastic about condemning those things is because ultimately the idea of communicating a story is to give that experience to the reader, right? To offer it and to close the circle where you experienced it as a storyteller and they experienced it as a, you know, a, a reader or a viewer or whatever form the story comes in. And if you cheat them, you knock them out of the story. Now, absolutely, I say you lose them. You lose them. Right. Absolutely. I want to talk about uh, a very satisfying. Oh, this is number uh, three. This is it. Well, okay. Spots. I think I've said seven things, but it's number three. It's um, right. We're not counting. We're not. <clears throat> so, because it was Valentine's weekend, uh, the goddess and I watched a Christmas movie. You know, that makes perfect sense. Yes. Yeah, it was. It, it was not a movie that either of us would normally go and see, but she kind of had an instinct she wanted to see it. So it was called Last Christmas. Okay. And it was, um, I'm terrible with names. But it was the girl who was the, the one of the lead characters in Game of Thrones. She was the, you know, the conquering queen or something. You watched um, I did watch Game of yes. Thrones. So I forget the actress's name. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, it'll probably come up to me eh, when we're done. But in any event, um, it's a romance mm -hmm. with a twist. And when the twist happens, you gasp and have that great story experience. Like, oh, because your mind goes back to all of these things and you realize you read them the wrong way because the story is well written. Not that you were wrong, but you're seeing all those facts that were, or all those story elements that were presented in a brand new light that makes them much more exciting. Oh, 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 oh. And then they have a couple of, you know, where they show, you know, to, to confirm that you, what your epiphany, you know? Right. And that is what we're looking for. And how you get that is you get the first draft done and then you go back and you see where it needs to be and you make the conceit or the twist organic. You know, and that's where the polishes and the rewrites help create the magic, you know? Yeah, one magic of, is never accomplished without casting a spell, right? <laughs> I really like uh, Memento for, for that reason, yeah. you know, because it, it consciously and unconsciously plays with you in exactly that way. You're, you're experiencing this experience, this 
journey that our lead character is on because, A, he is doing the story thing. He's in pursuit of. But because of his brain injury and his no short-term, no long-term memory, rather, no long-term memory, he has an experience and he's perceiving it one way and then later we, we perceive it, shall we say, the correct way or a different way. And We're kind of seeing everything backwards. Right. And then when it clicks into place. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it, that's not an accident. I mean, that's not the guy was writing, oh, gee, this kind of worked this way. No, it's, it's, it's intentional. It's planning. This was, this was originally a short story that was published, I think, in the New Yorker magazine called Memento Mori. And it's, the elements are in there. And then yeah. they did a fine job trans, uh, translating it to film. Yeah, yeah. yeah I Great think experience. The, payoff, the payoff at the end was, was really stupendous and enjoyable. So I think that, again, it, I mean, I often say that the methodology that I use to do mysteries works in any genre. Because mm -hmm. you're setting up anticipation, or you're setting up suspense, or you're, setting, you're writing a thriller. How you set those things up, how you pace them, what you reveal and what you hide and what you suggest or hint at, it's mm -hmm. the same process. You know, you just pay it off differently in a mystery than you do in some of the others. And even in this, you said this was a romance. It was a romance. Romance, sorry. There was in a uh, elements of at least two or at least two other genres in there, which was yeah. fantastic, but predominantly a romance. Yeah, so exactly. So again, understanding where to place, how to seed, as we, we called it earlier, how to seed your story with those little nuggets that will pay off at the end. And when we say pay off, we mean literally that, that at the end of the story, the movie, the book, whatever, your audience goes, oh, wow. Right, right. Oh, wow, you know, why didn't I see that? Or, you know, I knew this was going to happen. This is so great. You know, they're, they're totally into it because you took them on an extremely satisfying ride. As I like to call it, you played fair with them. Right, right. You played fair with them. Now, you know, I still do the index cards, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, index cards, people. That's just there like, you go. It is, but just in case. Um, and sometimes you find that you're seeding, you know, there during the, you know, what I consider mm -hmm. pre-writing, right? And sometimes, you know, the Joyce Keller Oates, you're, you're walking around and you're picturing the whole story. And the first day you get something, the second day you add a little bit and you go back and do, yeah, all of that is seen. Yeah. All of that is seen. And sometimes you get the whole draft done and you're like, wait a second, how did what, you know? It's one of the things that happened with, uh, uh, I have to ask her permission if I can use her name. But this fantastic editor that I've been working with, um, she asked questions of the novel, and I went back and seeded the answers. You know, mm -hmm. oh, she's right. I'm going to go back. And then there was a situation of shopping through the world that I had created. Where does it fit best? Right there. Bam. You know, and then you just write it and polish it till it, it's organic, and no one knows that it, was never, it wasn't there at one point. I was interviewed um, a couple of weeks back uh, by the um, host of the show. The House of Representatives. And, right. Uh, you know, yes, no. right. I told them I didn't know anything. <laughs> I wasn't there. Uh, but, you know, I was interviewed about this book that someone else had written, and I, I don't have their permission to use their name either, so I'll just bear with us, folks. Right. But I was interviewed about it, and I was talking about how I saw certain characters and how the author had used those characters and what I got out of those exchanges. And the author who was uh, at the interview said, oh my goodness, 
I never saw that. I didn't realize that. And I'm thinking, and I, I said to the author, I said, to me, it was right there. But I was also removed from the writing experience. You'd already written it. I could come right. to it with fresh eyes and just see the picture that you had painted. And in That's that, that old cliche of you can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so sometimes, again, the more we step back, not getting manic about it, but if we step back enough times and look at the piece and, and, and maybe have beta readers or whatever to help us, like your editor did, see or ask questions that then cause us to go, hmm, yeah, wait, let me blah, blah, blah. And that doesn't mean that everything that everybody says is going to be relevant right. at all. I mean, you're going to have to you know, try and be cautious about uh, one of the things I, I, I get very concerned about when I hear some people critique other people's work mm -hmm. is that you are you're trying to help them see what they've created and maybe ask questions or give observations that cause them to look at their work and see if some adjustment is necessary as right. opposed to trying to get them to write it the way you would have written it and I'm right. always I'm always cautious about that when I give my critiques and I definitely, when I'm in class with my students and I hear a critique, I go, well, is, is, is that how you would have done it? Are you suggesting that that's how you would handle that? Well, yeah, I would, I, but understand this person is not you no more than you are they. So it's really about making sure that they get the voices in their heads and in their characters out in the story, not our voices. So that's always something to be cautious of. When you get, you know, responses, Take a little time to live with that and yeah. hear that and then determine whether or not it's relevant. And when I have uh, my classes about to read someone else's work, I always am very cautious about the ground rules. Mm. You know, uh, if there's uh, something you see that is problematic, ask the question that we do not want. Why don't you do it this way? Mm. Or what I would have done, because these are not your stories. You'll have a chance when we're reading your story, mm -hmm. and that'll be yours. But what we're looking for is, as outside readers, feedback. And because every single one of you are nervous about this project or this 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 process, understand, and so is everyone else, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is that that golden rule. You know, treat others the way you would be treated. So kindness, positive, and give it a shot. And that's one of the things that, you know, there's, there's a couple of different kind of beta readers, you know. There's the ego confirmation beta reader, because, like, when you finish a project, that's usually when you're like, oh, every word of this sucks, and I should, I should be, uh, I think, painting houses. <laughs> this is, this, uh, even the computer is mad at me. I just, oh, my God. Right? That's when your wife might read it for you because she loves you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, or, you know, you're a friend or this or that. And those are just so that, you know, they can coax you off the roof. Um, and then you got to look at, okay, well, this person has less invested in me and more invested in the craft of writing. Let's hear what this person has to say. Mm -hmm. And that's the next level. And you need that level. You know, I know we are. Our ego needs to be saved with the first round of buddy better. 
buddy beta readers. <laughs> buddy beta readers. Okay, so like, then we got to get then we got to get to that next level. And yeah. When you um, I'm gonna ask you when you go to rewrite, maybe like the second or third time, because the first time, okay, you've written the first draft or the second draft, and and mm-hmm. now you're going to do this rewrite again, and but or you're doing this first time this rewrite, and okay, I know why I'm doing this. I'm gonna, you know, there's a lot of stuff I have to deal with, or a lot of stuff I've marked off. I'm gonna really get at, okay. but this. Second, third, fourth time, I know you do several. What's your energy and your attitude at that point? Well, you know, it depends on the world, right? Um, Summers, because I'm a school teacher, uh, summers I can fully dedicate to all the energy to that rewrite. So I might spend spring getting it, uh, you know, better beta read readers to read it and then making notes and uh, I usually I get requests for print copies a lot people write notes on it. and now this is the first time that people are doing the notes to the side of the uh, word document and that's fine too I'm just mm-hmm. adjusting but then I would take like the three or four uh, uh, copies and then you know decide right this one has the most I'm going to go page by page and copy in everyone else's so i have Ah, one major so you have a map right yeah and then um there's the run that you go through just to do the grammar and punctuation fixes and that kind of stuff and when i come to a a deeper thought one i might circle it and then keep going and just right so you get all the little stuff out of the way Mm -hmm. and then you go back and it's like you know uh this, you know, this character who ran in to save the day on a page 125 died on page 62. Well, <laughs> I might now. This is, you know, it's part of the process. This is the Chuck Dixon level here, where you might take that and go, you know, paint a room or walk the dog or, you know, but you're still writing. It's in your head, and you're thinking, okay, what do I do? What's the best thing for the story? Because, um, you know, there's always like, uh, what do I want to do? And then yeah. will that work for the story? Will it work? And you get an idea or two. And, you know, once in a while you'll get you'll get to that like five minutes into your session. You know, uh, the goddess has seen me come out, you know, in five minutes flat. And she's like, what happened? Well, I thought you were writing. I am. <laughs> question. Did you want to go to the mall? Let's go. You know, and then, you know, it looks like I'm just, you know, hanging around like a suspect. But I'm really working on, you know, what am I doing that guy who died on page 62? Right. Not something I could explain to cops if they stop me. But, hey, <laughs> I'm just <laughs> thinking of a dead person. I'll be back with um, So, yeah. So, all that process. And then you got to go, you know, it, um, oh, man, Richard Price uh, uh, was kind enough to talk to me one time. And he, and he said, you know, the biggest uh, secret about writing is it's a, it's a lonely road, you know. Mm. you've got to put your ass in the seat and write. And that's the biggest challenge is to go back. And especially when there's something that you can't work out or you're frustrated with, or, you know, it's your third or fourth draft. And now you're, you know, all those suspicions you had at the end of the first draft, or, you know, now you're sure they're true because you're still working on this shit. (laughs) Um, That's the discipline, you know, and uh, sometimes I'm better at it and sometimes I'm worse at it. You know, and 
I, you know, when, I, when I get published uh, and something becomes a bestseller, then I can get cocky about it. But right now, it's you know, it's it's the religion, and you just keep you get praying. too cocky. I think folks will come for you. Uh, <laughs> they come anyway. <laughs> I, I find that, you know I've I've heard other writers talk about this too, and you know some of the other approaches, or at least one of them that, that sort of sticks in my head, is you know you can do what you do which was do the easy fixes first and then go back and work on the heavy ones uh, or the deeper ones. Uh, there's also some writers who work by chapters. So it doesn't matter what you hit in chapter six or chapter seven, or chapter eight, you're going to work sequentially through the book. Mm-hmm. And you do X number of chapters per day or session. Wow. Uh, that's another way. Some writers... Once would, I go past the index card phase, I always go sequentially. Uh, then some writers will do the um, the characters first because they feel like if they can lock down whatever you know they want to enhance or what doesn't work with the characters, it then expands out into affecting plot and story and so forth. I, you know, I think once again, writers like some fighters and like some dancers, you know, choreographers in particular, you find what works for you. You mm-hmm. find what your style is. You find yeah. what is most effective. And you work your way through it. I sometimes, and I, I, I will say this right now, it's not my favorite method at all. But I find that sometimes um, I will encounter the notes that I need to adjust or work on. And instead of part of me going, you know, instead of what I, my, my brain is telling me is, well, sit down and work on this for, you know, an hour or so and then go do something else. My brain will go, no. Now let's 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 go for a walk. Let's 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 go do this errand. Let's clean the house. Let's do this. Now, yes, like you say, a part of your head is working on this, but sometimes my head will take that day that I should have been sitting to write and work mm-hmm. on it. But then I've got two days of other work that I have to do, so it's like three days before I get back to the writing. So I I, I have to find at times a happy medium. I have to right. say, okay, I can think about this. Or, or, or gel on this for only this amount of time, then I've got to put the butt to the seat for this amount of time. And knock it out. Don't do. Yeah, because yeah. You know, I don't always have complete control over my schedule. Uh, do you ever go for that walk or something and, and <laughs> the perfect resolution comes to you and you have neither pen nor pad and you, uh, or you said, well, I'll remember it, right? Especially if you wake up in the middle of the night and you go, oh, I'll remember it. Don't. That you're lying to yourself. Absolutely. Always write it down. Always. Or, or record it. the phone now. Phone type it down. Up. Say it. Yeah, whatever. Yep. 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 How many times have we had great moments oh, that we said God. we'd remember? And then we're walking around kicking ourselves. Like, what the hell? I had it. Well, you know, I'm not going to keep talking about the senior moments, but I've had some where literally I have the idea in the kitchen. Yes, that's it. And I run to my, my workspace, <laughs> and, and it's like, wait a minute, what, what, what was the order? What was the order? What was, it? What was the line? <laughs> a word drops out. No! You know. We have, a, we have a, um, one of these uh, calendars on the refrigerator in our kitchen, and uh, Sean took it over when he was like seven or eight. So he always does, you know, you know it's one of those things you wipe the magic marker right. off you for the new one. And by the end of the month, there's these um, cryptic notes. Because <laughs> I thought of something while I was making tea, and I would put it in, you know, 
And then I, you know, sometimes I would transfer it over, you know, other times I'd go back and get it, but I, I never had this habit of not wiping it off. So, you know, it was like, you know, the 27th of that month will come on there. And he goes, she kills him with an ax. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> What's going on today? Yeah. What is, what is that up there? What is that up there? What is that about? Uh, you and the guy that's okay? Uh, you guys working yeah, yeah, yeah. out, right? <laughs> I have, I, I would say, you know, for our audience, you know, find a technique that allows you to give you permission to, yeah. to, 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 to do the process, to do the rewrites, and to even, as you said earlier, embrace or enjoy the fact that you can do them. Because yeah. it's not, it's not, it was a Walter Gibson who, who wrote The Shadow. Uh, luckily, this guy was a prolific oh, and God. talented writer. Because the guy was hammering out hundreds of words on, a, on an Underwood typewriter. And for anybody yeah. who knows what that looks like, it is, it is something that literally, literally, you could, you could stop a car with if you threw it at it, all right? So it's heavy. And I, I, I want to quote have, you from the Shadow Scrapbook by Walt Gibson. World's record, uh, 1,440,000 words were written by Maxwell Grant in less than 10 months on a Corona typewriter in the creation of the character The Shadow. Yeah. 1,440,000 words in 10 months. Yeah, this guy yeah. is cooking. Yes. <laughs> and he started out he started out as a reporter. He was a uh, a newspaper reporter and so he was used to hitting deadlines, knocking out those stories and trying to get it right the first time. Cuz again, we're not talking like, oh, we've got a delete button. You know, we can we can overwrite. No, we're talking about paper and a typewriter and maybe you can scratch stuff out, but basically you got to hammer it out, baby. And so, what? you know, again, you've got to give yourself permission to go for it, and and in some cases, like you would you would uh, sort of champion, let it suck, let yeah, it yeah, yeah. Suck. get it out, just get it out, and then oh my god, I've carried the concrete sacks up to the top of the mound, I poured them, I've mixed them, we poured the concrete, the foundation is there, we put in the structure, the poles, and the support, we framed the whole damn house, mm-hmm. now I can start decorating. You know, yeah, right, right. That's know, really what it is. You just polish on it. Heavy, heavy, heavy lifting. Yeah. You know, now you breathe and go in now and and decorate and really yeah. enjoy that process. And sometimes, yeah, you hit a you hit a wall that you don't know what to do with this bad boy for a while. You don't know what to do yeah. with. But you know, and, and there's things there's things away from your story that help you get there. I was a reporter for years. That's one of the reasons why. You know, I can brace these rewrites because I'm used to writing uh, quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people, they still have those um, local newspapers, you know, that show up on your lawn or in your mailbox every week. Supermarket, you yeah. Know, if you're serious about uh, writing, go and see if you can, you know, volunteer or get a part-time gig there or, you know, offer to do, listen, I'll cover this meeting. It doesn't, have, doesn't matter if the meeting's boring or not. It just gives you, I got to get this out, boom, and it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just an exercise to write. You know, everyone says, oh, who, who reads the blogs and all that sort of stuff? But blog writing is another, uh, another deadline. You know, That's right. you got to be in the habit of sitting down and writing, sitting down and writing. So if if, if that helps you, I hope it helps you. But uh, 
the big takeaway is embrace the idea of rewrite, you know, and get your first draft out and then go back and seed, you know. I guess it's first draft out, go away or put it away and, you know, maybe start on a short story or this or that. But you give yourself some space away from it. And then either you read it or you get some beta. Probably you should read it and, and seed right. all the things that... and. None of these things are mistakes. They're what the story still needs. And that's the process. That's part of it. So don't, uh, you know, the whole getting down that I used, uh, was saying earlier in the, in, in, uh, with partially tongue-in-cheek. We all go through that, but that's not because we made mistakes. It's just because there's that editor on your shoulder saying, you mm-hmm. look, right? The things that the story still needs, that's just part of the process. None of it is wrong. Right. You know, Joe R. Lansdale, he always says, I make so many spelling errors while I'm typing because, you know, I'm thinking of the next paragraph or whatever. He says that's, you know, part of what he knows he has to do, you know, embracing who you are as a writer and what you need. There you go. Now, here's, here's a quick one, because we, we've talked about the practical aspects of it, of the process and the routine and the theory behind it. Well, uh, can you give an example uh, in one of your writing experiences where, you know, you, you got the story out and then you had to do with rewrites and whether or not that was a, a difficult, maybe one of your more difficult challenges might be more useful to some of the folks here. Where I had to go back and fix it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, on the first novel, I... Um, that's one of the city novels? City of Woe. City of Woe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that's the one that's being redone even now. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, there was a chapter where um, we opened right on Mallory, kind of walking fast through kind of a Palm Sunday crowd. Ticked. Does he want to be home eating lasagna? But he got called in for this special case. And then uh, I realized I needed a little more action to start the story. So that became chapter two, and I put in the um, antagonist. But I wrote him as a hero. You know, he was the hero of that chapter. Um, And he was, a lot of people liked him. A lot of people liked that chapter. And uh, one of the things that I've been having to do here uh, is that the complaint was we don't see enough of him we really want to see more of him and where he is in that first chapter and where he ends up we want to know how that happened so Mm. i realized that i hadn't given enough of that arc so i had to go back and create that arc in this go-round so uh it added chapters, and then I reduced a lot of other stuff because, you know, you get better as a writer. You say, that's overwritten. This is a, mm-hmm. And to try and keep it around, this, you know, the, the same pace. Uh, I like to have uh, fast-paced novels. Um, but also now you had a whole second, a whole other subplot that was being mm-hmm. put in. And he had an assistant that people wanted to see more. So there's two things fleshed out. And when you see the arc that happens, it is parallel and um, opposite of the arc that um, Mallory is going through. So 
I had to play and make sure the, the pace was hitting. It was kind of hitting in the right spots. And all of it, all of it, all of it is the unwritten subtext or the unmentioned subtext is Dante's Inferno. So I had to make sure that everybody who was on the journey was going through various levels and various challenges that were not repetitive. And, and you know, and that all took rewrite, 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 rewrite. So, you know, but... Well, how did you feel? How did you feel when you were going through that? Well, when I realized that there was an opposite, you know, one, oh man, they needed that. First one was like, oh, you messed up, you suck. <laughs> we know writers always do that, right? And then you get past that and you're like, this is an opportunity, you know? Um, Neil Simon, the great playwright, used to hear people's feedback and notes from, you know, the first time they did a table read or whatever. And he'd say, oh, I, can, I know how to fix that. I know how to fix that. And his reputation was he was the only writer they knew who ran to the typewriter. And um, I kind of took that to heart when I read it. Mm. And that's that's how I approach all of this stuff. You know, I, how, okay, these are things, there are opportunities for um, creativity, you know? And one of the things that I'm, my, my outside career, you know, as a, as a published author, as, as an author, whatever you want to call me, um, is kind of in limbo right now. Like, I'm not making a lot of public appearances or this or that because I'm trying to reassess what I have, what works, what needs to work as I'm, I really feel like I'm ascending to the next level of, of writing uh, quality. Mm -hmm. So what of my work uh, meets that level that I'm now, uh, that I now feel obligated to offer? Um, what else needs, you know, and then you start learning about other things, you know, does this uh, come in a, a good package, you know, is the cover still serving its purpose is this is that so the professional concerns are happening with that too and all of that all of that all of that takes money bro that? takes okay. money bro um <laughs> <laughs> so but as um as a writer now i you know i answer to a higher authority now i'm finding which is a lot of work um feels so great it's it's exciting um so the the ability when you to, to maybe be better mm. you know and a lot of people were like you know don't write rewrite the old stuff write new stuff and and this was an experiment to see if i could get there and i think i i don't know if i'll rewrite city of a pain i don't know if city of woe will become a one-off i don't i you know I haven't made those decisions now. Mm -hmm. Once this is reached wherever it needs to be and whatever happens, happens with it, then I'll look. I still think uh, Genius High and A Simple Rebellion, which were the last two novels I wrote before going through this rebirth here, um, I think they, they uh, hold a standard that I can give out per, uh, publicly. I think they're ready to go. And um, who wants them? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that's for marketing you know, well, to find out. Yes. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm, but I'm looking at all right, uh, well, crime conventions, horror conventions, you know, thriller conventions. Where do these things fit? And uh, you know, that's those that's are a, things for another episode, episode. right? That's, that's you know, yeah. yeah, and and um, that's all a part of growing, you know. But I think the first thing you have to do is is, is tell the damn story, really, yeah. and uh, go back to see if you told it the best way you could, 
um, and then rewrite to make it the best you can make it. And then step away and have someone read it and maybe be ready to jump in a third time, you know? Um, and, and that's a process that is worth embracing uh, all of its creativity, man. I, I, I have um, my own, but I'll, I'll do a condensed version of, of mine. Uh, my, my own experience with, with a trial by fire is one of them. And then the other is my Sherlock Holmes play. Mm-hmm. Two, 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 two fictional pieces of work. And the Sherlock Holmes play, which I wrote years ago, and it had table readings, and I originally wrote it for myself <clears throat> to be, not just play Sherlock, but to be one of the characters in it. And then I, at a certain point, realized, no, in order to really create the best piece that I could, I needed to, to be the writer, period. And so I, I stuck with that, and I did some more rewrites. And then it got uh, a couple of readings at theater, at um, playwrights types of uh, gatherings. And then I did more rewrites. So I was rewriting that play off and on for about five years. And almost like your, your city uh, uh, experience. And then finally, it received a production uh, in the 80s. And I had, I had a, an interesting feeling because at the same time, there was a Sherlock Holmes play on Broadway. And here was my play off-off Broadway. Mm-hmm. And we we got we had interesting reviews that were not glowing about the play, but basically said it was better than the Broadway play. Damn, yo. Yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> better story and the characters. I'm thinking, oh, whoa, okay, you know. And you know, there was disappointment that we didn't get five stars, blah, 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 blah. But I, at that moment in my life, I realized that I had made the right choices, that I had right. dedicated myself to write it, that I had done all of the rewrites, and that maybe there was even more work to be done, despite the fact that it had been up on its feet. And so every now well, and then, you know, that's one of the things I think about. And then the-, the Let me the, ask you a question yeah. about that play. Okay. Uh, one of the things that uh, I'll say about this play is that it's been, uh, it's had its own life. It went out there and wanders around and shows up in different places. And that's really cool. But there's been a couple of times when you've gone back at it and, and, and did this or did that. Um, was that at, uh, in reaction to requests or did you just, was something nagging at you? For the most part, there's one element of that play that is, that is always sort of, caught in my throat every now and then. It's like a little tickle in my throat. And I've, I've gone back and I've dealt with it. And I, I, think, I think I'm never going to be totally satisfied with, with mm. that. But the others were either because in working them for production, you know, there was something that I wrote, oh, this right. could be better. Or in one case, it was purely an inspirational moment. Um, you know, again, the, the play involves a, a, a white and black cast with Holmes' character being white and some of the others being white. It's, it's part of the story, the way it's worked mm-hmm. out. Right. But this last time the production was done a couple of years ago, it was being done, uh, the, 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 the uh, theater that asked said, could we cast this non-traditionally? And I said, you mean just a totally different? I said, well, yeah, fine, because one production already had a Hispanic actor playing Holmes. Yeah. I said, yeah, no, no big deal. Like, then I thought, because it was going to be a black Holmes this time around, and I thought... Hmm. 
what would Sherlock have been like if he actually had been black? And I played with that, and I wound up rewriting some of the scenes, keeping in mind exactly what Victorian England was like at that time, and, mm -hmm. and would not have fit in. Right. And then looking at what would have allowed him to make it to this point and to that point, and I worked out all these various aspects of it. And I was actually as titillated writing that, doing that rewrite, as I had been when I first created the play. Because yeah, it, allowed, still, go ahead. it allowed me to look at that world from a completely different angle that was really intriguing and challenging. That's interesting. Now you have the original version. Yep. Um, rewritten, but the original version. And then you have this version. Yep. That would be an interesting um, book and workbook. Yeah, it was it was really exciting. It was very, very exciting. You know, uh, I mean, you could publish you could publish them back to back, but have conversation or annotations or that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that would be an interesting project because well, especially nowadays where um, there is that ongoing conversation uh, that uh, I mean, we've brought it up a couple of times, but, you know, who gets the right one? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, would it ever come back around and say, well, why would Al Simmons be allowed to? Write an English white guy, and I go, well, you know, because he can. <laughs> yeah, because isn't that always the truest answer? Yeah, you know, you that's know? the bottom line of it. Because you can, you know, you for know, a, when, umpteen, umpteen years, decades and decades, uh, non-people of color wrote stories about people of color. You know, whether they were insulting or or uplifting, they were doing it, and and seldom ever questioned about it. Right. So it becomes the reality is you can do it because you can. The question really at this point is how well. Right. That's really how where, well. And that's where rewrite yeah. and seating comes in. So you can get, see, it all comes together yeah. in the podcast called Tell yeah, the Story. <laughs> but I mean, you that, know, is, you, that is the reality. And I'll, I'll just quickly say with the Black Check story, Trial by Fire, you know, it was. Uh, you mean my, trial by ice. ice? Mine was trial by ice. See, I corrected myself. Sorry, trial by fire was yours. Uh, but with that story, I'm in a completely different country, and as as you remember, we were writing these stories at a time when political borders were were were, were heating up. Uh, there was they there really was, haven't calmed down. Yeah, well, <laughs> they're, they're calling out those names less frequently. Is really what's happening right now. We were right at the point when someone just turned up the flames under the pot. Yeah, and it was a match to the fuse. Yeah. And for me, it was, well, you know what? Uh, a, not backing off of the story, not for any political reasons, but for the fact that I'm writing about people. And, yep. and, and there's all these things going on around them. And yes, these are people from another country, but at least I've been to the country. I have references of human beings and experiences and things I've seen to pull from. And I'm just going to tell a good story or certainly try my damnedest yeah. to do. And so to me, rewrites were necessary to get some, some of the, the history right, to get some of the intonations in the, in the dialogue right, and, and to hopefully be respectful and true to all the characters that I utilize, yeah. American, Black, Russians, and male and female. I really mm -hmm. wanted that story to gel organically and, and honestly. 
uh, right. and, and be a good read, you know. And, and since you brought up Trial by Fire, I did the Rambo test on that, you know, uh, the author who created Rambo. Um, can I, can I do it? And an action thriller where it's all action. I mean, can I, you know, almost from the first chapter, go, you know? And I, I wanted to see if I can do that with Blackjack and the story become, you know, what he does and the action pieces are fine, but how he treats these other people is mm-hmm. the real story, you know? And it's the one that we had agreed that we would talk about this, you know, uh, using these uh, countries and all that sort of stuff. Um, and again, the rewrites are where, you know, you the, the first, dra- first draft came out like lightning and, um, it, it, I just kept topping. I said, all right, can he, now, can we get a little crazier? Can we get more dangerous? Can we, do we get to, I knew where the, the, the last beat was, but it was the second or third, right? Where we were going through and looking for the little moments, you know, and there was a language barrier. So, you know, that worked against having a deep conversation. Mm-hmm. And then it was how they would act, how the, you know, their kids in the story and how they reacted to him along the way that really told the real story, you know, and, and, I, and I, again, I, that's seeding. That's going yeah. back. And, and I know that, that Chris, um, you can, you know, quote more and more writers, uh, novelists and so forth, uh, for examples. I will, I will also say in terms of seeding, in terms of finding the little moments, the little, the little uh, tiny accents that really bring something forward and or highlight it more or make it more palatable or more realistic or whatever. This same mindset works in the visual world as well in that I'm thinking of, and again, it's like I'm pumping blackjack, but I've got them behind me too. Uh, but in, in the second graphic novel that we did, um, uh, Blood and Honor, the cover art was done by Brian Stelfreeze, who mm-hmm. is just a master. He was a master then, and he's like a double master now. He's uh, a two-scoop master. And Secret triple black belt. Yeah, there you go. And he did this one little thing in this illustration where, again, for those of you who've seen the cover, I don't have it on me right now, too bad. Uh, but Blackjack is, is, is holding this girl, and we talked about this. He's holding this little girl that he's protecting, in his arm, in his right arm, and his left arm is, is down by his side holding the gun. And basically he's looking outward at us, and the, the implication is you want to get to her, you got to go through me. It's that kind of simple. Right, right. Um, different races, you know, black chicks, black, she's, she's Chinese, uh, and, and she's a little, she's a little t- you know, not a toddler, but she's a little girl. And there's so many ways that an artist could have drawn that scene, that moment, to say, yeah, he's protecting this child and it's all cool and it's dangerous and whatever. Brian did this very, it's, it's, a, it's not, it's quite, it's somewhat static in that it's, he's just standing and holding the child. There's little scenes around him, mm-hmm. but bottom line, the, the master point, the focus point of that cover is him holding the child. And if that's all you see, and then the little moments around him, okay, you get a sense of the story. But the subtle thing that I don't know if Brian came up with this the first time, the second time he, you know, he's working on his sketches or, you know, what. But the fact that the child's little hand is holding on to his collar, holding mm-hmm. on to Jack's collar, which now says, yes, he's got her, but she's secure with him. She's holding on to him, too. Right. Right. And so there's a connection there. It's a subtle thing. 
But it said so much. And the first time I saw the cover, that was the thing that pulled me in immediately. It was a beautiful illustration. Don't get me wrong. It was cool and dynamic. But that one little, that little nuance, I said, ah, man, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So again, when do you come up with this, whether it's writing or whatever, and we're talking writing now, but when you go back and you look, what else can I do? What else does it need? Now, when you go back, those those are opportunities and blessings. Right. Well, with the uh, trial by fire, since we seem to be talking about this stuff now, um, I want a little kid, and we, I had asked if I could follow it right after your uh, still long-awaited um, blackjack story. The world has been clamoring for this story, Alex. Yes, yes. Blackjack is uh, hired by the U.S. government to protect Jesse Owens. And I had to have, have this right after, and it it... it it speaks words, to how well you words, know this folks. story that I was able to say, is there anything I need to know? And you told me a mo- uh, one of the final moments, and I had to work that into the story. Um, so I wanted these kids, and then uh, I decided they were going to be in the gymnastics team. But um, it wasn't, I don't, if I remember correctly, my research indicated that uh, they didn't have you know, the kind of gymnastic uh, events that these kids would do mm-hmm. uh, in the Summer Olympics in 1938. Uh, right? 36? 36. 36, yeah. 36, excuse me. Yeah, a very busy year for blackjack. Um, <laughs> that's true, bro. The blackjack is, true. Christmas, blackjack is tired as hell. <laughs> well, you know, it's, we uh, have to race in 37 because he took the year off. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's true. <laughs> You're going to have one painting of Blackjack in the, uh, on the beach with a palm tree over him. And a drink. Yeah, right, right. yeah. So um, then I put his coach in saying, I, took a, I take them, they see what the experience is like, and uh, this is going to be them, that kind of thing. So, okay, now, and they're having a great time because they're kids. So you get to see them doing gymnastic type stuff. That was all in the rewrite. In the, I, I seeded that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, once I realized, oh, that mistake, they, they wouldn't be, their team wouldn't be performing there. So all right, that's an opportunity to give it more innocence and more. And then when, you know, we just started with the action, I realized that the accidental placing them as uh, gymnasts gave me a great opportunity to metaphorically show their, you know, that youthful mm-hmm. sense of fun and you know, uh, uh, <laughs> bouncing around. And when things got crazier, they bounced on to the person they most trusted at that point. And, um, you know, again, all of this is uh, embracing the rewrite and, and going back and being willing to seed. And you can and you will. It's part of it. And uh, enjoy it. Yes. That's the good stuff. And, and, and on that's that the note, good stuff. Yes. On that note, since we have shared with you yet, Yet again, get your right on. You're on. Tell the damn story. We have actually helped you understand even better, just a wee bit more, how to tell the damn story. Yes, indeed, sir. So we will be back next week. No, that's the other guy. Uh, (laughs) um, Trademark. Yes. We will be back next week, my my friends. Uh, And again, as always, please, please keep those cards and letters coming. Uh, digitally speaking, of course. Yes, of and course. any questions, any questions, suggestions? If you questions, have, a, uh, yep, yep. If you have a, um, an opinion that is different from ours, you know, share it with us so yeah. that we can, you know, have that kind of dialogue, which is cool. Yeah. Me, me. 
Okay. If you're having a problem in an area and you want to make a request, we'll do what we we'll do what we can. Yeah, absolutely, absolute more, as the phrase goes. So, sir, until until next time. Until next time, sir. Right. We just saluted each other again for you people. That's right. Well, see, we like to do as many things, things that you can't follow as possible. That's right. That's right. <laughs> He's scratching his nose now. I'm picking at my eye. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> Have a good one, Chris. All right. Peace, everybody.